my the biggest takeaway and lesson that I've had so far of this journey is one that I think a lot of people are having during this past year. And that is that it's really important to slow down. So much of our issues in our life and on this planet on a bigger scale are because we're just racing towards faster and faster development and or racing towards retirement or racing towards getting more money or, you know, just trying to move so fast through life. And when you slow down, you really realize what's important. Um, you have time to to look at yourself for one. So have some sort of self-perspective and gain some more self-knowledge, which is pretty essential to living a healthy and happy life. But also just you make smarter decisions. You just when you slow down and you look at things with more time. There's a lot to be learned from traditional societies and how they spend weeks or months to make decisions that maybe we think are simple or easy but simple decisions sometimes have really far-reaching consequences and can make or break a, a community or a society that's the biggest thing i think that's that i've changed is being really comfortable with not like rushing towards something or success or, or something like that and and i have had to really alter my my perception of what is successful with this journey Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. One role model will influence more people than a thousand charts, graphs, articles, like one little thing you can do for the environment or 10 things you can do for the environment. People associate making money and seeing family with flying so that when you talk to them about not flying or when I do, they think no money, missing family. That's what I thought before I challenged myself to go for a year without flying. But within months, I had restored what I ignorantly thought could only come through flying more than before. So I had more time with family, more adventure, more cuisine, more control over my career. This sounds hard to believe. It would have to me. But that's what experience is all about. I had experienced that revelation before when I challenged myself to avoid packaged food. In principle, I knew flying in plastic had existed for only a few decades, but we humans have been around for 300,000 years, so we didn't need those things. And for that matter, we today have the same emotional system that our ancestors did 100,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, meaning that they experienced the same adventure, joy, discovery, and all these other things, but without our dependency, our neediness, and our pollution on these external technologies. They also lived more healthy, longer lives, more stability, more abundance. And the research on this is clear. If you think back then things were like more nasty, brutish, and short, or they were living in scarcity, it's the opposite. They're living much more health, longevity, prosperity, abundance, and so forth. Still, for us to change our lives today as individuals, for you and me to change, it helps to see it, not just know that it's in principle possible. People describe my behavior as extreme. Actually, it's more like most humans who have ever lived. Most Westerners our extreme in our dependence, our separation from family, our separation from nature, our obesity, our addiction, our heart disease, our diabetes, our working really long hours. From that extreme position, normal me looks extreme. Whereas I'm actually, I'm still probably polluting more than most people in history, but a lot less than Americans. But Americans are so extremely polluting and so extremely disconnected from their families and from nature that I look extreme to them, but I'm not there. Well, I'm extreme to them but they're the ones who are extreme historically. Anyway, I keep going further and further in, my, in the direction I'm going away from mainstream pollution, addiction, things like that, because I keep finding role models like today's guest, Marcus Puconin, who is circumnavigating the globe using no motors. He's biked, canoed, sailed, 
walked, skied, pogo sticked, but not used motors. In fact, he's when he's on a boat that uses a motor to get out of, say, a harbor, like a sailboat, he will paddleboard from the dock to the boat after the boat has used its engine. Can you guess if he's miserable or having the effing time of his life? I'll read the first few lines of his story on his page, Roots to Change, which I highly recommend going to, watching the videos, really. This is now him speaking. When I first told people about what I was going to do, they called me crazy. They also told me it was impossible and that I was going to kill myself. This is still a frequent reaction to what I'm doing now, even after I've been at it for four years and come halfway around the planet. It's motivating watching people's shock and wonder transform into inspiration and sometimes action in their own lives. Okay, that was him. And it goes on from there. You have to watch these videos. I heard about him from a friend who had bought a sailboat to live on and told me about Marcus and Roots of Change, which again, I highly recommend watching his stuff and reading his stuff. So I watched his videos and I had to bring him to you. The world is our oyster, more available, not less, when we pollute less. Here's Marcus. Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Marcus Pokonin, and you are in, in India, about to cross the Indian Ocean? Yeah, I'm in the south of India in Kochi, Kerala. And yeah, I'm about to get on this, this sailboat here and sail to Africa. Oh, man, so that would be across the Indian Ocean? Yeah. All right, so here's what I, I've, I've watched, I don't know, a dozen maybe, I don't think I've hit two dozen yet of your videos. But just to start things off, Something like three or four, five years ago, you you decided to go around the world without using any motors. Yeah. So I left Toronto, Canada, uh, almost almost exactly five and a half years ago now. And since then, I haven't used a single form of motorized transport to get to move me ever. So I actually started in a canoe, and I've used about thirteen or fourteen other different modes of transportation. But I, I've literally taken it to the world. From pogo stick to yeah. <laughs> I haven't even taken an elevator or an escalator in five and a half years. <laughs> yeah, I noticed on, on a couple of videos, you like if, if someone was in a sailboat to use the motor to get out of the dock, you would then paddleboard to catch up to it. Yeah, so that's, that's how I ended up having to leave San Francisco. I, I, I paddleboarded out of the, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge to get out because there was no wind when we left. <laughs> I feel like uh, Alcatraz, some, some sort of escape from Alcatraz joke to be made there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also reminds me of, you know, I avoid packaged food and people are always like, well, I'll get it and then I'll take the package out. I'll take it out of the package and give it to you. And I'm like, that's not the same thing. That doesn't, that defeats the purpose. It, it, it's not the spirit of it. But more importantly, it's not fun. Am I right that people look at what you're doing and think you're missing out on something? But for you, it's, it's uh, opening up a whole new world. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when I'm traveling in places like Southeast Asia and everybody's going to do all these uh, these things, all these adventure things there and that thing there. And they're going from beautiful place to beautiful place, which, you know, is fun. But I often don't go to a lot of the tourist spots, one, because they're just sort of far out of my way. But two, now I've, I've realized I'm just not that interested in going to a lot of these tourist spots because they're overrun with tourists and you're not actually experiencing the, the culture that is a part of the country you're in. You're just experiencing a ton of other tourists in these places. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's so many advantages to traveling this way, for sure. Did you know how long it would be when you started? No. Uh, people always uh, were asking me. So I, I came up with a number and I, I said maybe five years more or less, give or take a couple of years. Uh, but I really didn't expect to, I mean, I just didn't know. 
because I didn't have a big budget. I didn't really have any budget when I started. And so I just, I didn't really have the luxury of making something happen out of nowhere. So I had to be very patient. And even when I left Toronto, I didn't know how I was going to cross the Pacific Ocean. After two weeks of in the canoe, a friend of a friend called me up and said, hey, do you want to sail with me across the Pacific Ocean? And so that worked itself out very fast, thankfully, because that was going to be obviously one of the biggest hurdles. And my my plan B was, well, plan A was to try and find a sailboat just to crew on. And then plan B was I was actually going to try and row across or kayak across the Bering Strait to Russia. But uh, the sailboat worked out. <laughs> How long into your trip was everything was out the window and you were just, I'm just got to wing it. Did you even make it 24 hours? <laughs> well, so the first few weeks, well, really the first, first month and a half, I had a plan of where I was going to canoe to. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, my, my backup plan was to get a bicycle sent to me and get on a bicycle and ride across Canada. But I actually never had to do that to get across Canada. So when I was in the canoe, I met a paraplegic guy who offered me his hand cycle. And so when I got out of the canoe, I got onto a hand cycle and I hand cycled for about 800 kilometers. I only saw little bits. That one shows up in little bits. I haven't seen that whole video. <laughs> yeah, there's a few videos. It was, it was a few week trip. Tough, tough. But it was actually perfect training for what I did next. And that's the pogo stick through Winnipeg, which is 10 kilometers on this pogo stick. And that was, to, to be honest, that was the only thing on this whole journey that I thought when I said I was going to do it, I, I wasn't actually that confident that I'd be able to do it. I thought I might have to stop because of injury. But because I was on the hand cycle, moving my arms in the circular motion forward, that's the main what motion you do on a pogo stick to go forward as well. Now, the springs take all the legs, but it's the arm shoulder movement that's really tough. So I was well trained in a way, even though it was my, I had two days or three days to actually figure out how to use the pogo stick and get it going forward. <laughs> it's just hilarious to hear the like the nuances of pogo stick propulsion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thankfully there was another guy, a crazy guy in the UK who had done a marathon. So he had some tips for me. And, and uh, that was actually also one of the, well, the only real sponsor I had when I started the journey was, was a pogo stick because I really wanted to do this. And so uh, a company who makes these really good pogo sticks fly bar, I think they're in the States. They, they sent me some pogo sticks so that was great. And then, yeah, and then when I, after the pogo stick, somebody lent me a tri- tricycle. So I was able to tricycle across the prairies to the, to the Canadian Rockies. And then it started snowing and I got skis. And so I skied across British Columbia, about 700 kilometers. And then, yeah, and then somebody organized a canoe trip and then a kayak trip and all these things just sort of lined up. And so I never had to get that bicycle sent to me across Canada, at least. So that was good. All in the way you're forming relationships with people. Cause I saw you, I mean, you, you saw family along the way, but then you're also making friends who knew how to ski and put the sticks underneath the skis and stuff like that. I feel like people keep saying to me, they'll say to me, I say, I'm not flying. And they say, Oh, and they, they switch flying to traveling. So like, Oh, you don't travel. Yeah. I'm not flying, but I am traveling. And yeah. I mean, I, I just rode my bike up to a state park and back and that I got more out of it because there's a whole, uh, there's a whole story I could go into of, of like, I gave up because I, I was so tired. I thought I couldn't make it. And I stuck my thumb out to hitchhike. And then in shame, I was like, what am I thinking? And then I rode back and it was all dark. But when I finally got home, I thought, see, I, I told people I rode a hundred miles and they were like, oh, that's great. But I didn't tell them it took me a while to get that I had 
I'd given up on myself. And when I got home, that proved that I, I had stuff, I had it in me to finish. And I'm not too proud of it, but that's an experience I can't get from flying. That's, yeah. I mean, it was beautiful land, uh, beautiful going along the Hudson. That was really nice. But just the adventure was on another scale than what happens if I buy a ticket and just get delivered somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's amazing how quickly humans have forgot that that was the, like the only way we got around not long ago is with, without flying <laughs> yeah. you know, and without motors too. Like, so, you know, it's, it's in our blood to travel in these different ways, maybe not pogo stick, but you know, by, by sailing and, and by walking and by traveling on rivers. I mean, river travel is probably my favorite actually, because those really were the highways of the old, of the old days. And, and you can still see the remnants of those villages and towns and, um, yeah, I mean, traveling on the river is a wonderful way to travel. Now, you've traveled on the river in many ways. I mean, there's, there's canoeing, there's kayaking, there's um, the stand-up paddleboard on, on rapids, which I was like, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of biking by the rivers, too. I mean, it feels like on the redwoods. I've gone through a mental shift because I really thought not flying was going to be a, a horror show. And the first, the first couple of months, I was just, I had to cancel a bunch of talking things that would have made me some good money. And I missed a trip with the family to go across to, to Tokyo, but it didn't take long before I started filling in what I thought I was, what I thought came from flying adventure and cuisine and culture and stuff like that. I started filling that in, but I'm suspecting that you've done this on a much greater, you've had transitions like this on a, on a greater scale. Can you put that into words? Am I getting it right? I don't think I can put it into words to tell you the truth. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I've changed as a person in, in many different ways and my experience of life has changed, but it's, it's always changing and it, it's, uh, it's hard for me really to sum it up right now where I'm at and to really wrap my head around how I've changed and how my perception of the world has changed. I think uh, really the biggest takeaway and lesson that I've had so far of this journey is one that I think a lot of people are having during this past year. And that is that it's really important to slow down, you know, like so much of our issues in our life and on this planet on a bigger scale are because we're just racing towards faster and faster development and or racing towards retirement or racing towards getting more money or, you know, just trying to move so fast through life. And when you slow down, you really realize what's important. Um, you have time to, to look at yourself, for one. So have some sort of self-perspective and gain some more self-knowledge, which is pretty essential to living a healthy and happy life. But also just, you know, you, you sort of, you make smarter decisions. You know, just when you slow down and you look at things with, the, you know, with more time. And there's a lot to be learned from traditional societies and how they, you know, they spend weeks or months to make decisions that maybe we think are simple or easy, but, you know, simple decisions sometimes have really far reaching consequences and can, you know, make or break a, a community or a society. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, that's the biggest thing I think that's, that I've changed is just being really comfortable with, with not, not like sort of rushing towards something or success or, or something like that. And, and I have had to really alter my, my perception of what is successful with this journey. <laughs> oh man, so many questions came up when you were saying that. Were there any examples of where you used to do something fast and then you did something not fast and it was like, oh man. Oh, uh, well, pretty much everything. <laughs> everything, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, you were stuck in Hawaii and not sure where you're going to go past there. 
if I remember right. Yeah, yeah that was a tough time for me. And that, that was one of those weird situations where, you know, I was, when I, the second I started this journey, so I spent many years working towards this journey. And then at like the five months before I started, I really committed. I was like, I'm going to do this in five months, whether I, I'm ready or not. I'm just, I need to do this. And it was a really stressful five months. And then the second I started, all that stress just completely evaporated. And I felt like I was living a dream. And I was, I was living my dream. Like, this is my dream. And this is sort of like my dream job, my dream life. This is what I want to do if I knew I was going to die tomorrow. And so I was really living my most honest expression of life on this planet. And so I felt really good about everything. But then when I got to Hawaii, it was in this paradise. And I, I didn't know how I was going to get off Hawaii. And I actually found myself getting depressed, which was interesting that I could still feel depression and, and be depressed, even though I'm still living my dream you know i guess maybe the the thought that maybe it wasn't going to work out was was making me depressed but i didn't feel like that because i still had sort of confidence that i'd figure it out i was ready to build a boat and get off of hawaii you know but i was maybe a bit also stressed that uh you know that i would overstay my visa and then the u.s would kick me out but that yeah thankfully that wasn't a problem in the end <laughs> you're talking about feeling depressed in the videos I've, I've seen you're dancing a lot in the videos you're dancing on on your own like on the boat or with other people did you show ones where you felt depressed or was that something you didn't want to share um it's not something that i it's not that i don't want to share it's just that i mean i don't know if, maybe you're not in the mood to like you're in the mood to video yeah i mean it's it's hard to show it for one and it's like you know it's like oh, i'm depressed but i definitely don't sort of shy away from sharing how I'm feeling at any given time, but I don't know if it necessarily made a, I made a video about it. Um, I was probably just focused on other things. And I mean, in the end, though, the reason I got sort of stranded in Hawaii, I was really sort of, I was fairly mad at the person who did it because he sort of, he did it in somewhat of a dishonest way, but my response to it, I think was really good. And that guy was, I wasn't angry or I didn't like, yell at him or get really angry at him, even though I was fairly angry with him inside. Mm-hmm. In the video, you sounded fine. You sa- it sounded like there was something happened. Yeah, very high-minded. <laughs> yeah, I was very, yeah, I was very polite to him. And, and in the end, that paid off because his, he came back and he lent me his boat. So <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that because, yeah, it was the same boat name. And then, then you're, but you're solo for the next leg, which was, yeah. I mean, I, I took sailing lessons and I, I haven't gotten to get off North America and I haven't gotten to do it yet. Uh, I was supposed to last spring to s- go to speak at this conference in Sweden, but then I got can- canceled from the pandemic. Mm. So you didn't take any lessons before you went with uh, left from San Francisco. You just learned on the boat. Yeah, I mean, I had sailed as a kid. Okay, so I knew how to sail. I, I hadn't sailed in ten years or something like that, and I never really knew how to sail on the ocean. I never sailed on the ocean, but yeah, that that sail from San Francisco to Hawaii really uh it gave me everything i need to to sail sail the boat by myself so i felt quite com- comfortable confident with that i have to ask a couple of questions i'm sure everyone has asked you i actually i guess when you jumped in the water <laughs> at first i thought you must have a, a, a line attached to you but then i saw you took down all the um the sails i mean i could imagine if the sails were up the boat could you could just watch the boat go away and like like were you worried about well even with the sails down you should always have a rope tied to you and i think i i usually do if i didn't in that video is maybe because dave was there like 
fair close and within shouting distance or and or the conditions were so calm that I was very comfortable swimming with the boat. But either way, usually you just you always have a, a rope tied to your ankle or something because the the currents can can yeah. pick up fairly fast. And they can pick up I mean it's rare it, depending where you are in the ocean, but sometimes there's places where they can definitely you can hit a current and it will go faster than you can swim for sure. Yeah, it seems yeah, all the comments on the on the page are like they're like, I thought I was the only one and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that because it's super deep. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it, it's it's the the comment section is an interesting section because it's it really shows everybody's fears and mm-hmm. it's very similar to the type of comments that I would receive if I hung out on a dock and I said I'm gonna sail across the ocean and from all the sailors because everybody really has a lot of opinions in the sailing world and some of them are helpful and some of them if you just paid attention to all of them you would never actually sail anywhere you know so it's uh it's it's an interesting an interesting balance well that sounds like a microcosm for society i mean people talk yeah. about adventure and then they just pay for something it's like this i feel like people go somewhere and they just go in like they're going to the zoo and they talk to people that are all on facebook anyway mm-hmm. and I, I haven't done it on the scale that you have, but it's once I stop getting food from supermarkets, then suddenly it's meeting the farmers, it's going to the farm, it's figuring out how to make stuff from scratch. And then there's people coming over and it's always, I guess what it, it's the, it, what looks like deprivation and sacrifice and burden and chore from the outside. In my personal experience, has been joy, community, connection, meaning, purpose. Absolutely. And fun. How, is, how did I miss it for so long? I mean, how much of it was a surprise and how much of it was expected? Um, well, that's always tough. I mean, I, I always like to think I'm, I'm always, I have a good idea of what's going on and nothing's too much of a surprise, but yeah, I mean, I, I had, this is far from my first time traveling. So I've traveled a lot. So it's not too, not too many surprises, I'd say from, from my experience. And, and, and if the surprises are sort of slow surprises too, right? Like everything happens slower. So I, I wouldn't feel like something like whoa that's so different because it's it's a slow change from place to place from time to time how i'm changing i mean so the bigger sort of changes in me that maybe would be surprising five years ago i haven't really well i mean one of the bigger surprises is actually a bit of a depressing one and that's just the reality of asia and probably a lot of other places in the world but it's just there's so many people and it is so polluted in all different ways noise air water it's just so much pollution and my my original sort of picture of this journey was that i would be going through like national park national park and and camping in these beautiful places and and being in the natural world because i just love the natural world and that was going to be my joy of traveling under my own my own power and without a motor was that I would be spending more time in the natural world. But in reality here in Asia, it's meant I've spent more time on roads behind vehicles, throwing black smoke in my face and now really loud horns. And it's hard to escape traffic and, and people. <laughs> I mean, thankfully the people are some of the most, the most welcoming people in the world and they're great people and the food is great. And so that sort of, helps balance it out a bit but i i've sort of i think in a way sacrificed my health by traveling by bicycle in asia and uh that's why i'm really looking forward to getting on this boat (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, the population is going to increase. The pollution is going to increase. The plastic production is increased. I mean, this is why I'm doing this podcast is to try to change that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really makes me realize just how, how lucky and grateful I am to live in a place like Canada where there's just so much forest. <laughs> yeah. I think that the pollution is going to get, I mean, North America has less pollution than there, but I think that's a matter of a couple of years yeah. unless we do something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because in Canada and North America, we we're already producing way more per capita yeah. waste and pollution. We just, we just hide it and, and we hide it. Right. You know, here when they, they produce waste, they just throw it all over the ground and into the water and everywhere. And they don't, need to hide it it's just not necessary and so it's really in your face just how much waste is created and how much and and the industries are yeah they're a bit out of control and most countries in asia are, are quite quite corrupt in one form or another yeah luckily we don't have that in the u.s <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'm curious just to pick like what did you do yesterday or the day before or last week? Oh man, I mean for the past 3 months more or less I've been dealing with fig- fixing up this boat. So I haven't been traveling to get down here. I traveled uh I bicycled 3000 kilometers through India from the north. So I spent lockdown up in the north in, in a town called Rishikesh which is known for yoga. A lot of people go there to get their yoga teacher training and uh, it's a beautiful little town up uh, just on the foothills of the Himalayas. And so I was stuck there for lockdown, which is a great place to be stuck. Mm-hmm. And then once India opened up, I cycled 3,000 kilometers down here, which was, as expected, very challenging just because of the pollution and the roads and the chaos. How'd you get the bike? The bicycle? That yeah. I, um, so I've been on this bicycle. I bought it in Laos. Okay. So you've been riding... Okay. I bought it used... Yeah, so when I, I I got off the sailboat in Hong Kong, and when I got to and somebody in Hong Kong lent me like a road bike that I toured on through southern China, Vietnam, and then into Laos, and then I was paddling down the Mekong River, and our boat sunk, and that bike sorry, sunk that. with the boat. Oh. <laughs> the boat actually came back to the surface with most of our stuff, except my bicycle was gone, and so I had to walk 90 kilometers back to Vientiane to find a new bicycle and I found one used off of an American actually and it's a pretty good pretty good bike it's a little bit small for me but it's like a surly touring bike so yeah, I've been on that one all through Southeast Asia and yeah and then so I guess this is a spoiler alert for the vlog because I'm I'm not actually caught up to this present time you heard it here first yeah, listeners yeah <laughs> Or, or on my Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, and then so I've been on that bicycle, I, I think a little over 15,000 kilometers. But this most recent trip after the lockdown was uh, 3,000 in two months. So I wasn't going too slow because I was on a mission to get down to this boat. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it took me two months to get down here to the south, Kochi, which is it's a beautiful spot here. I mean... This yeah. is like a government-run old... Uh, it's actually a palace built by the Dutch. This building's a bit newer, but the main building over there, which is behind the palm trees, is uh, built by the Dutch in 1780 or something like that. And then the British were leasing it. And then, yeah, then the government's got it. But this is one of the only, if not the only, marina in India 
And so I've been here fixing this boat and working on this boat, which has been challenging. One, because it's an old boat from 1978. And two, because I'm in India and finding the right tools and parts and things like that is a bit challenging. So, you know, I have, I actually just recently sold that nice touring bike to a friend here and I now have a fold up bike. <laughs> For getting around town? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm missing my nice big bike, but the folding bike, it, it works. Uh-huh. It's just, yeah, I don't know how much longer, how long it will last. It's, you know, I'm a big, big person for a small little folding bike, but it gets me around town. And so you have to take what you can get to some degree, right? I'm, I'm guessing the touring bike wasn't exactly a perfect fit either. If you just got what was there. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And people would say I'm crazy for doing so many kilometers on a bike. That's a bit too small for me, but I do a lot of yoga. <laughs> I, I feel good. My body feels pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I know I'd say with this boat, I mean, this boat is not, would never be anybody's first choice for sailing across an ocean. It's uh, it's more of like a boat designed for cruising on lakes or coastal cruising, but it's not the most seaworthy boat, but it's totally, it's doable. You just have to be uh, ready for a very rough, rocky rolling ride and, and uh, hopefully avoid hurricanes. So what's it like being in, I'm going back to the yoga place where you were locked down and you said a lot of people go there for yoga training. And I'm guessing there's gonna be a lot of North Americans and Europeans going there. And the idea of flying, I don't know, 10,000 miles to learn yoga, it feels like there's a huge contradiction there that, I mean, if someone yeah. trekked there, the, so if someone got there the way you did, that makes a lot of sense. That, that seems consistent. Although it also seems consistent yoga anywhere. The interesting thing is that like with with yoga, there's not necessarily a strong connection made between yoga and like environmental sustainability or social sustainability. There's not a connection. As far as I've seen in the yoga community, it's not very strong. I mean, definitely a lot of yogis do it, but in terms of their practice, it's 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 not like something that's essential. And even in I mean in to talk about contradictions, like India is the land of massive contradictions. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be weird to see like a yogi, like master buy a bag of chips and throw the chips in the Ganges, like throw the plastic bag in the Ganges, which is considered like the most sacred river in all of India. But it's just because that connection is not necessarily, it's not always there. It it is among many people. And I, I shouldn't say it's not completely, but yeah. And uh, I think when it comes to flying places for travel, it's a lot of people that just think it's, it's worth it. It's, it's a sacrifice that like, you know, it's, I don't know. What, how does it feel from your perspective? Is it, are they missing out? Are they missing the point? Or? No, I don't think they're missing out at all. I think, I mean, in reality, it's, it's hard to travel the way I do and it's uncomfortable. And especially in a place like India, like to, to travel by bicycle in India, like I say, I would never recommend it. To get here without flying, yeah, sure, I'd say they're missing out. They're missing out on a lot. And they have their reasons because they only have this time or that time or anything like that. But I think really they could change their time schedules and make it work. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a tough one because there there is a lot of value for people to to travel. And, you know, it's it's I think it's really important. I think it does great things for the world when people go out and explore the world. Do I think it's worthy of flying all over the place? No, but I think 
there needs to be more more momentum towards the alternatives for sure. You're putting a lot of effort into making the videos and putting it out there. I presume that you want people to learn from you or to to see that there's. I mean, you're calling it an alternative, but I'd like to think of like the flying as the alternative, and what you're doing is historically normal. I mean, yeah. to travel by your own power or by wind and so on, and um, flow of the river. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. I but I don't I don't think that like I'm not trying to say that everybody should travel the way I do <laughs> because I think it's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, sailing, yes, but on sailing on a small old boat by themselves across the Pacific, no. I mean, in reality, very few people are going to be comfortable doing that. But looking for alternatives, yes, and and helping to create them happen, hundred percent. And there's you know there's so much potential to create speedy clipper yachts that sail around the world at an affordable price. You know, like there's no reason you can't have get a berth on a yacht for something comparable to what it would cost to fly and eat food in in India. You know. It just needs to be more demand in the end, I think, and and or just somebody who's willing to take the leap and make that happen. Because I think now we've reached a point where there's there's they could probably fill up these boats all the time, you know, a, like a wind powered cruise to get to get places to actually travel places. Yeah, it seems to me that people are like, oh, I want to get away. When I was taking sailing lessons, the New York Harbor is maybe five miles from here, but it's a I mean, even there, and I can see the Statue of Liberty. I can see all the sites that like, well, it's kind of, that alone is kind of cool because you can see it much closer. But I mean, what I'm saying is like, I can see the giant buildings of New York City. I'm, I'm barely far away, but I noticed that no matter how I felt before getting on the sailboat, I'd be in a hurry. I'd be worried about blah, blah, blah. And then I get on the boat and like all that's gone. It's just, and I'm not, I haven't really experienced it that much. I mean, I haven't had any big winds, went out in Long Island Sound, but it's just, people want to get away. I'm like, just get on a boat. Or, and for the yoga, I'm just thinking to me, the idea of flying all around the world for something that is, I'm not a yogi person or yoga person, but I've done it for a few years. And it feels to me like it's something eternal, something internal that is not out there. And the idea of flying to India to get it is, feels to me like it's missing. And maybe I'm just imposing my views on others, but it feels like it's missing that you could do it anywhere. And then flying out there is, you know, if the flying was, was here's the way I put it, is like if out the back of the jet was coming rainbows and unicorns, that would be one thing, but it's, it's jet fuel. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I'm also curious if uh, going back to before you left, I mean, you said you're, you're living your dream right now, or you're, I mean, right as soon as you're in it, you're living your dream, if I, if I read you right. And before you left, you decided to do it. I mean, there's family stuff, I guess, that drove it. What, what's your passion? What's, is it something, is that an easy question to answer? Yeah. I mean, what I'm doing is my passion. I have, <laughs> I have many passions. I'm not, I'm not a like one passion person, but uh, well, I, well, I have sacrificed one of my passions actually with this journey and that's surfing. <laughs> you haven't gotten to surf? No, you did. You did it on that, on that wave the 17 mile, whatever the... Well, I didn't actually surf that because I was on my stand-up paddleboard oh. and I couldn't get into it. Uh-huh. Everybody was surfing and was going out with these motorboats. So I actually had to sacrifice that amazing opportunity. But I did surf before that in Sumatra. But, you know, like a couple of weeks of surf a year is, is nothing compared to what I was doing. Like that was what I was doing every day for two or four hours for 
a few years before I left on this journey. So I've, I've actually had to give that up somewhat. And, and my, the lovely place where I was living on the West coast of Vancouver Island. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate, uh, about being outside and being healthy and going on adventures and all sorts of different sports. I mean, I love climbing and surfing and, um, I just love being outside in nature and, and breathing the fresh air and a definitely passionate traveler passionate about traveling and i feel like it's the best way to learn about the world and about yourself and uh yeah so with this journey i definitely tried to like combine these passions the passion of traveling the passion of being outside the passion of being active and then combine it with like my art which is filmmaking or photography and sort of combine it all into one project which which the I mean the other main passion, which is actually the job that I would sort of want to be doing if I was still if I was willing to get an actual office job. So that's where this sort of journey came about in a way is because I was seeing what was going on in the world. I was inspired to act. I wanted to get involved with in, in environmental or social justice, uh, which was partly actually uh, really spurred on by um, this book, Blessed Unrest. Don't know. Oh, it's a great book. That, that was one of one of the inspirations was you know, that sort of spurred me on to be more active um, environmentally and socially. And and then so, yeah, then I was like, hey, like, how can I get into this realm? How can I do this sort of work? And then I realized, like, I would just be in an office, you know, writing letters to the government or writing letters looking for donations. And it like wasn't really going to be the type of work that I wanted to do. I just. I'm not an office person. I'm not going to sit in an office. At the time, I was fighting forest fires, which is great work, rewarding work. But in the end, it was a government job, and it was you wanted to pull your hair out about how things were were happening in that job. So, so then I was like, okay, I combine all of these things together, uh, doing what I love, and I'm still and yeah, and I'm being really honest with how I'm doing it, and uh, yeah, so that's how Roots of Change was born. I didn't realize how many things were coming. I, I didn't think, I mean, I guess I, I heard about, about all these things. You got nature, you got travel, you got filmmaking. And I think you said something about, doc, you didn't say it this time, but somewhere it was like, doc, you trained in documentary filmmaking or. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're doing that. And then, I mean, meeting people seems to be a piece, of, seems to be a big piece of it too, which I guess. Is yeah. I mean, that's traveling, traveling, right? Like you're, you're forced to meet people and you're travel and you're forced to, yeah. And languages, I guess, is sort of a passion, but I'm not particularly great at them, having grown up in North America, where we don't really learn too many languages that fast. But <laughs> And then, now you said earlier that it's not for everyone, but anyway, okay, so we're now about 40 minutes into this. So anyone who's listening to this is like intrigued and interested in it. Okay, it may not be for everyone, but people who are listening at this stage are interested in it is it available to anyone if not if not everyone is it still available can anyone do what you're doing yes 100 percent. i think i think anybody could do what i'm doing is it a matter of uh just make the decision or do they, should they just walk out the door or you crawled out the door <laughs> yeah you should just walk out the door 100 percent. if you if you're listening right now and you want to do this walk out the door if, if you do that and you do it with a certain amount of confidence and just honesty the world will figure out a way to keep the path moving forward for you or keep your, your feet moving forward. It's really just a matter of taking that first step and then just moving towards where you want to go. And, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you're, if you're honest and you're, 
and you're smiling, you have a friend, if you're friendly, uh, you know, people in the world, it just, it works. It, you know, it just has stuff as a way of working out for people who move in the right direction of their dreams, you know? And, um, yeah, I think anybody can do it and you don't need to be in like crazy good shape. You don't need to have a lot of money. You don't need, you don't need much except for, uh, one thing that I think is, is pretty important is to be a bit tough. <laughs> you got to have a bit of a tough skin. That'll happen, right? I mean, do you have to have that when you start or can it? Well, I mean, you don't have to have it when it starts, but it may mean you'll give up. Mm. So I, I personally went through probably one of the like, uh, well, I, I definitely went through something that was extremely, extremely challenging that makes everything else in my life seem a lot easier now, which is great. <laughs> so I think like getting on a sailboat is like, and like it's, it's a luxury, like how big this sailboat is compared to the, my previous journey on the ocean, which was on a small ocean rowboat. And, uh, it was basically like a weird form of torture for 70 days. That sounds brutal and funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, when I was originally planned this, this journey, I was planning on doing it strictly human powered. So that means you aren't, you can't even sail across the oceans. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that means usually you, you row. You get in a rowboat, you row across the ocean. And there's. I've been following people rowing across. I just rode it. Yeah. I'm going to brag. I, I just rode a marathon on my rowing machine the other day. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, I was just... yeah so, so I got in touch with some ocean rowers and eventually they invited me to row with them across the Atlantic Ocean. And we were aiming to be the first crew to row from Africa to North America, which was about a 3,600 mile journey. Uh, and then, yeah, we made it 3000 miles in 72 days and then we capsized. That was in the news. But, uh, those, you know, those, those first two weeks were the worst and then, and then your body sort of adapts and you get used to it. And so, yeah, I was loving it. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Do you know this quote? I'm sure you've heard it many times, and I just brought it up on my screen. Until one is committed, there's hesitancy, the chance to draw back. Do you know this one? No, no. Okay, it's often attributed to Goethe, but it's not him, but it's someone around that time. Until one is committed, there's hesitancy, the chance to draw back. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, that ignorance of which kills countless ideas and, and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. 
boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It sort of gives me goosebumps hearing that right now. <laughs> I'll email it to you after we finish. <laughs> yeah. So, looking back, did you not need to plan as much as you did? Could you have gone earlier? Oh yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I wasted. I wasted probably six of those seven years getting advice from people. Like one, one very important thing that I would suggest to people is never take advice from somebody who hasn't done something similar or, or the same really. Because when you get advice from people, they give you all your fears and all the reasons why you shouldn't do things as opposed to telling you how to do it or do it this way or go for it, you know? And that's, that's my greatest like sort of resource of on this journey. It was when I'm doing something I've never done before. I find somebody who's done it and, and they'll, out of, uh, you know, you'll ask so many people and they'll be like, oh no, that's impossible. I can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. And then you find somebody who does it and it's like, yeah, you just do it this way. And it's, it's like, it's crazy how, how important that is, I think, really to not take advice from people who haven't done it. And then, yeah, I mean, I spent six years sort of procrastinating, like humming and hawing, trying to find a budget, trying to do it this way, the way it would be good. I was looking for a budget for a film to make, make the whole journey happen. And then, and then I just realized that it, I was never going to do it if I waited to do it the proper way, you know, because it is a crazy big undertaking that seems somewhat, you know, everybody said it was impossible. I knew it was possible. I just needed to sort of make it happen. And, and, and to be honest, probably the money factor was the thing holding me back in the first place. Cause like, how am I going to figure that out? Am I going to be struggle? Am I going to have to like stop somewhere and flip burgers in a restaurant to continue on? And when I started the journey, I was prepared to do that. I was like, okay. I'll do that if I have to do it. I haven't had to flip burgers, but I did mow some lawns in Hawaii. <laughs> wasn't necessarily 100% essential, but it was. It helped me survive. Hawaii is a bit expensive, and uh, but yeah. So I ended up starting with very little money, no big sponsors, no you know nothing really. I had a canoe rent like rented to me basically for free, mm-hmm. and I had pogo sticks getting sent to me. <laughs> And I had somebody sending me some tea, some like green tea and, and chai tea. And that, that, was, that was it. And really, and to this day, it's still pretty much it. I don't have any like corporate sponsors or anything like that. I'm, I'm su- supported by my community. I'm mostly crowdfunded uh, through Patreon and just some crowdfunding company, company, uh, campaigns that I've, I've done. So I've sort of pre-sold my book and the film and... Uh, yeah, I made it work that way. And now it's YouTube is helping me out a little bit. So I'll make sure that we put the link to your Patreon so that people listening right now go there Thanks. and give them some money and so he can uh, get back home. Yeah. And I, I mean, you'd think that after doing this for five and a half years, I would have figured out the financial situation a lot better. But I'm, I'm currently, I have about $2,000 in my bank account. And, uh, and I have this thing now, though. <laughs> a 27 foot sailboat it's actually this this boat was designed in canada the original hall but this was built in england and a 20 year old sailed it here from england got here just before the lockdown and then had to go back to australia i mean you're happy you you appear to me happy healthy i think most people would envy your position and you're like something didn't go as planned (laughs) (laughs) is the road your home now i mean do you feel like that or do you feel like you're still traveling and you'll get back home at some point or have you just changed was that a dumb question? I don't know. No, no, I think that's a good question. I think a lot of people probably question that. It's like, are you ever going to stop? I mean, well, definitely people are always questioning me. Like, so what, what are you going to do when you're done? And I have a very good idea of what I'm going to do when I'm done. And it's been sort of what I've 
wanted to do even before I started this trip in some form. It's not this trip was priority, but I've always at the same time I've wanted to grow food. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I'm done, I'm going to grow food and and probably a family. Are you in touch with Rob Greenfield by any chance? Do you know him? No. Oh, you might like this. He did a bunch of things about riding across America. He would only eat food from like dumpster diving and, and, um, and he would do a few oddball things if that's counts as oddball. But what he did, then he decided for one year, he found someone to live with in, um, uh, Orlando, Florida, and he would only eat food that he either grew himself or forged from wild. So he, they had like a front lawn that was not really, we never see the person whose house it is. He built like a small house in the back, uh, like a tiny house thing. And then okay. they took the the green, the grass that was the front lawn and turned it into, I don't know, cassava and all sorts of peppers and whatever, you know, stuff that grows there. And then apparently maybe six other uh, houses that he started doing that with. And he's like swimming, like abundant stuff. And he, he puts a lot of work into it. But the year ended, I think, I think it ended in November. I'm not sure what he's up to now, but he's, he made videos of it. So there's a whole bunch of YouTube stuff and, and he's, um, riding back and forth between the different places with the bike, with the thing on the back, the trailer. I assume, I assume he started the year after he had already had his first harvest or he had stuff going first. How did he start it off? <laughs> I think he had some planning. Cause that would be challenging for a few months, all the tough work and not having food to eat. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how he started it. He might've been foraging at the beginning. Just foraging though. That's tough. Well, I know he would fish. Okay. Yeah. And he didn't have fish just flying into his face and <laughs> eating them like uh, you yeah. had that flying fish and squid. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, you can see the the change in him over time and all the different things you do of fermenting and finding out what different plants to grow and stuff. And he really changed as a man, as a person in, in that time. And yeah, he must've put a, a fair amount of planning in. And yeah, he, there's like community forum and he would do all sorts of volunteer stuff to put up more plants and he he had like he'd send seeds to people who wanted to start planting. So I have to he's been on the podcast too. So I have to figure out what he's up to. I contacted him. I was thinking about maybe going to ride my bike down there. Uh, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean the, the growing food thing. It's yeah. This I mean it's obviously probably the biggest thing we can do if we want to help uh, create a more sustainable future. You got to start growing our own food, and that's one thing that is really challenging when you're traveling is to you sort of have to give up your control on, on the food you eat. And it's, uh, it's not always easy to find good food. And, uh, you know, in lots of places, there's a lot of bad food, you know, the food that's available in restaurants, there's not always markets around. And then the food that's available in restaurants is often, you know, overcooked, fried, sort of junk food. That's, you know, it's the food that people eat once a week or a couple times a week. It's not the food they eat every day. The local food, if you can find it, is, is great. I mean, like a good home-cooked meal, but it's not always available. And so you have to sort of sacrifice uh, your eating really healthy food all the time sometimes. That's challenging. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one question that it's – I shouldn't even ask. I'm going to embarrass myself. <laughs> After you jumped ship from Hong Kong, did you make your way to Tibet? <laughs> <laughs> no. Huh? I, I would have loved to. You know the reference? <laughs> No. No. Okay. You're not. Well, I'm 49. Are you? You're not my age. I don't think. No, I'm 38. Okay. Yeah. There's uh, this movie Caddyshack with Bill Murray, and it's got this famous line where he's like, "I jumped ship from Hong Kong and made my way to Tibet, where I got a job as a lupa." A lupa? What's that? anyway? People my age, it's like we learned that line. I, I mean, I know the movie. Just obviously, I don't know that line. I'm gonna send you a link to that. I don't know if it'll be funny at all, but it was a big one. 
I, I was hoping to get to Tibet, but uh, yeah, that's a tricky place to get to without a motor sort of blocked off. Oh, yeah. Or that'd be some serious riding, I guess. Well, no, I mean, I was close. I was very close to Tibet up in Nepal. I, I, I biked up into the Himalayas and uh, yeah, but to go through Tibet, you need a guide with you and uh, guides to go on a bicycle with you or you know, I was in the thousands of dollars, which I did not have. So that was not an option unless I snuck into China, which not really an option. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like how to close this of saying like the, the inspiration that uh, I feel you're providing. And it's certainly bringing me closer to my sailing across the Atlantic. And it's really, I mean, you're, you're resetting for a lot of people, including me, what's possible, what's fun. And I, I bet you probably hear the same things over and over again from everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, I've, I've been mostly alone here since I've been here. So I haven't been hearing much of this recently. <laughs> Are you doing a lot of podcasts or, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've seen a lot of press clippings on your page. Yeah. I mean, but in the past year, maybe one or two. No, I haven't done a lot of podcasts and I haven't really been reaching out to press recently. So, I mean, there's a lot of press clippings, but over five years, it's actually not that hot when it comes to year to year. This past year, there's maybe two or three things that have happened in this year. So, Well, I'd love to have you back a second time if you're up for it. Yeah, of course. I'd love to. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah I mean, you've given me a lot to process. I'm going to listen to this one a couple of times. Maybe when I get to Tanzania. Yeah. And then I'm also, I'm also thinking like if you make it to, when you get to North America, if, I presume you have no idea where you're going to land. But if there's any biking from New York to Toronto, I'd be like, hmm, maybe I could join him, not to impose. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think I'll be biking. Uh, I think if uh, I'll be there, I'll probably be walking or something or, or on the river, maybe on the Hudson. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I've never actually been to New York. So definitely good reason to go there. Well, when you're here, I'll make you some of my famous no packaging vegan stew. <laughs> awesome. And it'll be the best meal you've had in the world. <laughs> well, that's that's a big that's yeah. a big statement to be making. Yeah. As I was saying, uh, it, I was like, "What am I saying?" And I was like, "Fuck it, let's say it." <laughs> <laughs> At least you won't complain about it. it. It'll it'll be really good. Yeah. Oh yeah, awesome. I can't compete with. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're going to get the fresh ingredients there that I can't get here, but it'll be the best meal you could get, given what's around here. Okay. No fresh lemongrass or whatever, whatever you're eating over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So many, so many things that I don't even know what they are. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I was watching. What, there was one where your like foot, feet were falling into the mud, and, and you're like, maybe there's a crocodile around here. And I was like, oh, I guess there could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was in Indonesia, so that yeah, that was that was a good time. It was a good time on the river. A uh, river again. The river travels. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a lot of people there. So. Oh man, you take me back to when I was, I was in China and flying around, but I, I went for a brief, I guess a week, a week. Yeah. Business was down for a little bit and they're like, just go, go somewhere, take a break. And uh, so I flew to the Mekong Delta and, or to Ho Chi Minh City and then went to the Mekong Delta and I met this girl. And, oh man, we had a great time. And yeah. you talk about river travel. I'm like, oh yeah, that's where we met. Yeah. It makes me wistful. Yeah, well, I got a girl coming to join me in Tanzania. We met over the lockdown, so she'll be sailing with me once I get there. Never been on a boat before, but she's planning on sailing with me. Yeah, I was wondering about asking if uh, if there's been any like partnering or finding a romance or anything like that along the way. I, for- I don't think I've seen any mention of that in the videos. 
I don't necessarily make it public, but it's it's implied in a couple of videos. You, you, okay. you might see it. <laughs> I guess there are times when you, you kind of describe being a bit lonely here, but also all these people that you're getting. I mean, people are lonely in the middle of New York City all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Like I'm, I don't feel lonely right now because I just, I'm just busy and I have a lot of things to do. And but yeah, I always say like people always ask me, it's like when you're out on the ocean all by yourself, like don't you feel lonely? And I was like, no, I don't because I'm very well prepared and and comfortable being alone. And I know that I'm going to be alone. It's when I go to a city and nobody says hello, nobody looks at me, nobody really acknowledges my presence. I don't make any like you know I don't have any friends. That's when I feel lonely. You know, it's, it's those situations but when i'm alone in nature i i just i'm comfortable and i speak to the birds and the fish and <laughs> do you speak back <laughs> not not so much no <laughs> not so much i haven't i haven't heard anything from them yet which is probably a good sign well on that happy note i'm gonna wrap up and uh but i hope just for the first time and and if you ever get something you're like oh, i want to tell josh about that if not, then at some point I'll contact you and be like, all right, what's going on? Yeah. Anything I didn't think to ask or to, that you want to say or that people should know that we didn't cover? I mean, I, not, no, nothing specific, no. no. I mean, you're going to mention my website or blog. Yeah, I'll mention the website. and uh, Actually, well, I want to mention it just to be sure Yeah. if, if people aren't where they can click. Yeah. So if you want to follow me, um, you can follow me on YouTube at Roots of Change, and there's a video once a week that comes out on Sunday, but if you want to spoil the YouTube vlog, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Roots of Change, and that's where I'm posting stuff up to the present date. The YouTube vlog is actually almost two years behind right now. <laughs> and then there's rootsofchange.org, which also has all the press clippings and uh, the, the team and all this other stuff too. Yeah, and it has my live uh, tracking uh, map so you can see exactly where I am in the world on there and contact me if you like yeah. well Marcus thank you very much thank you Joshua it's been, it's been great more than any one thing that he did or person that he met or place that he went I can't tell you how comfortable it feels to talk with someone not defending an unsustainable lifestyle actually doing living by his values living his dream I have more dreams to uncover and unleash the more I live by my values and stop making excuses, the more I discover to live more dreams, more dreams to live. I think about working for a company whose values I don't agree with, which I think most people do, or a lot of people do. I've done it. I've done it several times. There's tremendous opportunity to do other things when we don't have these dependencies, as Marcus showed. I know a lot of people listening to this are going to say, Josh, you don't know what it's like. You haven't lived without. Well, you haven't lived my life, so you don't know. But what about you? You listening to me right now. Can you change? I predict that if you change, it will enable more people to change. Maybe I sounded accusatory. My point is to examine what's possible. If you try, I predict that you'll find yourself much more capable than you ever predicted. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.